Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to 2024. We've been doing interviews around here on the year in review. And the interviewers see the coming year as a doozy. It's going to be crazy. The reporters are finding voters who just cannot believe it's going to be a Trump-Biden rematch. The political insiders think that's kind of inevitable. And the outsiders are like, are you kidding me right now? (laughs) Joining me to discuss the year in review today and what's been happening this week, Newsbusters managing editor Curtis Houck, who's... Penn State team lost in the Peach Bowl to Ole Miss. I was at a wedding in beautiful Scottsdale overlooking uh, Camelback Mountain for someone who uh, is in conservative media but wants to remain anonymous. Uh, I had a very fun time, uh, so that was much better. Yeah, well... That sounds way better. Sunny and 70 in Arizona at a wedding was way better than watching that Peach Bowl monstrosity. (laughs) Well, it was sort of a Big Ten thing. I did see the Wisconsin Badgers collapsing to LSU. Uh, uh, my, not my team, but my brother was in the Badger marching band. Uh, all right, so the, the first portion on the plate today is, as we know, Curtis is the master of the White House briefing. Uh, and I was a little surprised. I don't know if you were surprised, Curtis, that Corrine Jean-Pierre did a round of interviews on the morning of January 2. The... Uh, how did that strike you? Did it, well, was that a surprise? Yeah, I was surprised. I mean, because cause about a week before she was on the Today Show, right. and we talked about this on Fake News Friday on Newsmax, uh, which everybody can listen to at about 10.30 Eastern time um, every week. With Sean and Emma. With Sean and Emma, terrific, fine people, professionals and pros. Um, and that interview with Laura Jarrett, who they're probably friends from the Obama years, um, since Laura Jarrett's mom is Valerie Jarrett, Obama, best friend, unofficial advisor, confidant, literally could do whatever she wants, do no wrong. Um, so I was surprised she came back for round two, And this time she was on ABC's Good Morning America, CNN This Morning, and MSNBC's Morning Joe. Well, and that's where I'm like, obviously, ABC's the most prominent one. Correct. Exactly. And here you have also, again, very tight. You have one White House press secretary, Stephanopoulos. I mean, he kind of tried and failed in 93. They went pretty quickly to uh, Dede Myers back Mm -hmm. then and just made him a regular uh, communications guy. But one White House press secretary to the current White House press secretary. Now, it doesn't help. What The first thing you notice, the tenor of the questions, very loose and open-ended. You know, oh, well, it's not going great. How can you turn it around? Here's how it opened. Yeah. She's joining us to discuss President Biden's priorities and challenges in the year ahead. Happy New Year. Thank you for joining us this morning, uh, Kareem. Let's begin as President Biden heads into his fourth year in office facing re-election this year possible rematch with donald trump a lot of the polls show him especially in the battleground states trailing or tied with donald trump what does the white house think about that how can you turn it around and then she answers for 80 seconds this that's the thing that sort of bothers me like where's yeah this is like steve inskeep barack obama territory (laughs) Uh, oh actually maybe not quite where he would let obama go for what like four or five minutes felt like it completely uninterrupted um, so he, she started with that one or Stephanopoulos did. 
And then he goes on to two foreign policy questions, which aren't really necessarily seen as like they happen end with a question mark, but they were more or less just statements. Yeah, it's sort of like what... How's it going to go? You know, the toughest subject was the border crisis. And all George said was many American cities now overwhelmed with this immigration crisis. That's not even a question. Yeah, there's not even a question in there. It's like a David Muir sentence. Yes. Okay. So what, George, you're running out of time because she was filibustering. But could you just at least ask one hardball question? Peter Ducey is the master at this. Ducey is able to distill these hardballs, flamethrowers, down to just a few words and still end in a question mark, okay, to allow the subject to reply or not, spin, deflect, so or he could engage with and argue. There was no interrupting of this whatsoever. And we understand that there's limited time with these, especially when you're doing more than one network at a time, even if you pre-tape one of them. But the fact that you could just say you just made a bland statement and the one before that about Ukraine uh, he said the war in Ukraine is grinding on. It seemed to escalate over the last several days, but this aid package is still in Congress. Are you confident you can get it done early this year? Yeah, I mean, that's... It, it's it's process questions. It's a it's, news question, it's but it's a very... lazy. Yeah. It's just, you know, again, like, roll out of bed, and Stephanopoulos didn't really have to do any prep for this because you just roll it out there. No, so... In this case, I think that you you did the timing on these. The blog that you did has transcripts in it with the time. I guess this was about 4.40. So, I mean, that was – some interviews are shorter than that. Uh, you know, but let me ask you this, Curtis. What do you think about how liberals and Democrats don't see this arrangement and just see a Democrat publicity channel? I mean, there's there's no way – that most people can see this and say, well, this is a nonpartisan network doing a nonpartisan interview. Right. Well, they just think that it's news. They think they are the news and they can decide what news is. So they see no problem with a press secretary just coming on and they're just wanting to ask them for updates. Like, what is the president doing today? You've talked about this before. But this but that kind of stuff would be a reporter shows up at the White House before the briefing. They would stop by, you know, Ari Fleischer's office and ask these questions or these kind of things would go out in emails um but instead what they're doing here is they think they're trying to make news or at least they're just trying to make it seem like there's the presence of news Mm -hmm. when they're when there really isn't well and then and and the last thing is access too i would think too if you're trying to challenge a press secretary and you know because she's the head of a team of aides and the boss the communications director and they decide that a network is being a certain jerk to you you're not going to call on them you're not going to do interviews you may not respond to basic questions mm-hmm. because this is washington where everybody is petty uh well i mean especially there's no interruption when she, when jean pierre says biden's accomplished more in three years than any other president has been able to do in two terms Right. Nobody, you should have just stopped right there. Like, oh, we're just going to skate over like LBJ's term and a half or whatever, or we're just going to skate by well, and Truman or some of your other Democratic heroes. Right. I mean, obviously, the big difference there is that Johnson had what? I mean, 70% Democrat Congress. I mean, <laughs> right. Well, and two, <laughs> like Woodrow, Woodrow Wilson, FDR, but you're just going to just say these things. Sure. And. <laughs> What's so funny is in some of these other interviews we get to in there as well, she started, in all of them, she talks about things that Congress had already passed in years prior. 
in all of them, she talks about infrastructure, chips and science, prescription drugs with Inflation Reduction Act. All of those things were passed in 2022. Uh, so my question then is like, what about this year? Well, right. Well, it was 2023. What did you actually accomplish then? Well, and I mean, we can expect with a divided Congress, it does get more difficult. I wouldn't try to say that you define how this administration does based on purely on the legislation. But this is where we go back to something like the border. What was their performance at the border? It wasn't about whether you passed legislation. It was massive numbers of people came across and you didn't seem to be able to handle it. So right. And her answer was worth pushing back on because she said to Stephanopoulos, um, she said, Governor Abbott's, quote, using migrants as a political stunt, and it's not protecting our communities across the country. It's not making Texas any safer, and it's shameful, and we have to call that out. Hold on a second. How is sending illegal immigrants out of Texas not making Texas any safer? <laughs> and it's almost, the I said in my post at Newsbusters, it's almost a inadvertent admission that illegal immigrants, because we don't know who they are and what their criminal history is, that they might include dangerous people. Well, they, right. And look, this is, what, is funny. this is what Trump has always said, is that, you know, in come the murderers and the rapists. And they are offended by it because they pretend, you know, that he's saying all of them are. And they, they're then unwilling, because they're jerking their knees, to imagine that any of them might be murderers or drug pushers or child traffickers. Uh, right. But, you know, the reality is, and you've seen this just in the reporting on immigration over the last couple of days, the news media have a tendency to somehow see the problem with immigration is Governor Abbott, not the immigrants. Right. As I was telling you, it was one of ABC, CBS, or NBC this morning. I don't think it was Today Show. So it was either Margaret Brennan or uh, uh, Alex Perez in, on ABC. They said that Abbott's law and Abbott busing illegals to other cities was creating new crises yeah, in America. I mean, this is, uh, yeah, somebody had said this. Everybody on Twitter was talking about it, that uh maybe it was the mayor of chicago that abbott was sowing the seeds of chaos and it's like aren't the my immigrants themselves the seeds of chaos and eric, if so isn't that racist sounding eric adams there was the sound of it on today's show uh -huh. he was a bully he said he was a bully for sending migrants right he's being a bully he's bullying new york like he, he's sending migrants to new york who say please i would like to go to new york right and that's the thing it's in these interviews with some of these migrants or either there or people at the border you can go back years people will say where do you want to go or where do you hope to go and they will say i have a cousin in new york city for example mm -hmm. and so greg abbott is saying sure I'll do that. Or other people want to go to Denver. I mean, they, th that's exactly what he's doing here. He's taking people who do want to go to New York because they had plans to get there already. And, you know, you think about it. You don't, It's something you don't have to pay for. If you're an illegal immigrant, you don't have to pay for it or find another way to get there because Craig Abbott's going to do it for you. And yet because, yes, now it's on the doorstep of these liberal journalists and their friends uh, they're not able to go to their parks in New York and their hotels and their children's schools in the suburbs are being overwhelmed. Um, you have locales outside of Illinois, I believe, recently. New York did this a little bit last year where they're trying to pass ordinances to ban the city from dumping illegals on their doorstep. Well, just like New York was trying to say you can't uh, bust these people in without notice. And so then they 
they bust them into Secaucus, like right across the bridge. Right, and and that's this is where the media again just you know are failing. It's a degradation of duty on a daily basis. Well, where Stephanopoulos just says, "Gee, the border seems bad," right? And and this is what they they you know they they've sort of turned this into. It's not because they've drained the whole idea of a legal immigration. The word illegal is almost missing now. You know, when I studied this, when it, years ago when I studied this, the one thing that was interesting was they maintained the use of the word illegal. Um, a little bit of undocumented, but they were still using the word illegal. You can't find that word now. And the, and, and the crisis, such as it is, is really about how effectively are we processing the migrants? It's about processing. It's not about deportation. And that's not and that's what's missing from the coverage of the border negotiations. If you talk to some of these uh, House Republicans or people in the know on the Hill uh, or other border reporters, they will tell you that the Biden supplemental is for agents, not is just for more agents to process and send illegal immigrants out into the country. And we saw right before Christmas, Hillary Vaughn, Peter's wife, asked about this like don't you think it's a problem and a national security risk that these people are getting court dates in 2031 and john kirby was just like well those are semantics or hypotheticals i'm not getting gonna get into that and she's like these are there's there's tweets of people's papers saying show up to the court on this date in 2031 heck we don't even know if this place the world's gonna even exist then if the (laughs) if like smod doesn't hit us or the apocalypse doesn't you know the rapture doesn't uh do us in first like so it, it definitely is not a hypothetical um and there's no sort of questioning or reporting uh from the news media and we saw that between christmas and new year's as well where they would talk about oh my gosh wow these there's Lots of people coming in from like China and like Morocco and like, wait a second, these aren't countries near the U.S. border right. or in the region. Right. Back to you, and you're like, hold on a second, you know these countries, there's some bad dudes, you know, or China, number one geopolitical threat to everyone except they bought in the eyes of everyone except the Biden administration. Nobody has a problem with this. You guys don't. Oh, okay. Now, then there came CNN had uh, on CNN this morning had an interview with Audie Cornish, a black anchor woman who came over, <laughs> came over from NPR for CNN plus. Oops. His show never aired. She was one of the people, uh, not a single episode aired before it was canned. <laughs> and here again, she has a seven minute interview with KJP. And it starts with, what is the White House considering a priority in the first month of this year? Now, you know, an open-ended first question isn't unusual. And then you kind of go on to the tougher ones. But, I mean, you know, you you also can sort of set the stage for, well, this is going to be a puffball interview. Now, here's the weird part. <laughs> Cornish only seemed to get in sort of a pleasant, polite bickering match with KJP over student loan debt. Listen to this. Karina, I yeah. want to jump in yeah. here because I there's think a you're making, there's absolutely. a lot to do. Absolutely, and you're making some excellent <laughs> points about the macro yeah. economy. But you alluded yeah. to some kitchen table issues, drug prices for yeah. one. Also, housing is another issue. Education is another yeah. issue. The student loan um, issue was not something addressed by the White House in the end in a comprehensive way, according to many young voters. Are you going to try to finish those jobs in particular? 
So I'm just going to take a let, let me just uh, deal with the student loan issue for a second. Look, the president put forth a plan. He wanted to keep his promise on dealing with the student loan debt that is really crushing families across the country. And he took steps, even though he, um, the plan that he put forth was stopped uh, certainly that uh, that, by folks in Congress. But do no, you think wait, that that me, argument? Just, well, I want to just jump in here because no, no, there is no, an issue I'm, with no, young voters, and I want to yeah, make but, sh because they have heard from you that essentially this is something the yeah. president has tried to do and do you think that over time they start to feel yeah. like trying isn't enough no but I, what I was going to say what I was going to finish in saying is that the president even though his plan was stopped he was able to take action and we were able to uh, we were able to uh, get rid of about 130 billion dollars of debt uh, more than that for millions of millions of folks across the country that matters so Curtis the CNN host here has zero concern over what we might call authoritarianism here. That the president shouldn't be able to just spend money without Congress being involved. Somehow Cornish likes the idea that Biden should be empowered to be the student loan forgiving dictator. Uh, I mean, it's, I mean, it's pathetic. I mean, she's speaking for her constituency. You know, she's a former NPR host, and those are the people that really are most looking forward to uh, having had their loans wiped out. I have to point out before this, she interrupted her by first complimenting her by saying, you're making some excellent points about the macro economy, but you alluded to kitchen table issues, and then she goes on to student loans. Yeah, I mean, she she <laughs> wants it. She wants it to be pleasant, but it's it. This is it's funny to me because where we were just saying that Stephanopoulos are talk for a minute and a half, in this case, this particular subject she really wanted to get in there twice. Right. Young voters. Young voters expect it's you. It's such show. Young voters expect you to wipe out their $100,000 in student loan debt. And, of course, there's no consideration there on the part of CNN or the NPR lady that there's going to be working class Americans that never went to college who are paying the bills for somebody who went to Harvard. Right, or that there would be other caveats. Um, so, of course, KJP's answer, she then talked about climate change instead. You know, mm -hmm. obviously, shrewdly political move to try and pivot to the other far-left, white, soy boy, you know, girl, Young voter. latte girl kind of issue. Um, well, I would argue— she just moved right on. I would argue, Curtis, this is another issue where if we were going to be rude, we would say— that also sounds of authoritarianism, you know, that the, the global people, they get together at the UN summits and say, we're going to end fossil fuels. Well, how are you going to do that? You're going to mandate an end to fossil fuels. You're going to basically declare it illegal to to uh, to uh, have an, a gas-powered automobile? Right, and of course, the pe you know, people like Audie Cornish that live pretty well in Washington and New York, a lot of them don't have cars or they don't need cars or they just have one car that they use. Or they, they have use. drivers. Or they have drivers, <laughs> yes. Gail, when was the last, you know, I think that was the thing, like Gail King or, and, and then Sonny, I think it was Sonny on The View that Nick found one time where she, they talked about the grocery store. And you, we, we made the I joke. I haven't gone to the grocery store, store in three years. Yeah, we're like, yes, we know. <laughs> yes, we know. And then there's Matt Lauer who had his own helicopter. Yes, I tell people that and... I still and they just are like wow and I'm like yeah they knew they get there's, a little they get a little shelter there's no way they didn't know and and so with Cornish too then she moves on to immigration yeah and she played the clips of you know Chicago Denver New York all saying you know their hairs are on fire but then she just says obviously there have been many Republican governors and mayors who've talked about this issue now you're hearing it from within the party what's the response and and her response of course is to start talking Good about. Shaping. 
comprehensive immigration reform, which is the same term they used in the Bush years. Yep. And what it means is, well, we're just going to grant amnesty to everybody who comes across the border. Now, does that sound like a, a solution to right. this? This is a new thing that, yeah, the White House is now saying, oh, Biden, his first piece of legislation that he sent to Congress was comprehensive immigration reform. And he, he then puts the onus then on Republic. She puts the onus on Republicans for not going along with it or ignoring it when you know, in reality, it's a Democratic Party wish list. I wouldn't be surprised if the folks at like La Raza drafted it for them. Well, I think the question that I would like a journalist to ask, I think you could play a fairly objective journalist and ask, how does granting amnesty to illegal immigrants solve the problem of reducing the flow of illegal immigrants? Doesn't it just make it more attractive. Well, and here's the other question that I believe has been asked at the briefing before, but KJP wouldn't get into this because she'd much rather attack Republicans and say they're the ones that are defunding the Border Patrol, which makes no sense, <laughs> um, because they won't send them, won't, anyway. But but it has been asked before in pointing out that just like with Barack Obama, you had Congress for two years. Right. And you didn't do anything. Uh, and she'll just blame Republicans and blame the filibuster. And again, well, that's now, not, ugh. We, could, we could try to be objective for a second and say Nancy Pelosi did not have a huge majority in 21 and 22. Right, whereas you, that's an interesting perception. The perception was you didn't really have a lot of talk about that, but whereas with Republicans, that's literally all we hear about. Oh, but small yeah, they have a tiny majority but tiny majority tiny majority and you know could say that's also that's media bias but also also a credit to pelosi that she and the democratic party that they were able to strong arm and that even people like spanberger and elaine loria were able to take these votes because they knew that the party was going to back them with umpteen you know truckloads of cash in, well, in exchange I, I would always add it's easier for the democrats to maintain dis party discipline because the media is part of the party discipline. Right. And holding people accountable and groupthink and they're, you know, the left to go really left wing to go to the communist territory, the greater good. Yeah. So then there comes Morning Joe. That had the the largest, longest KJP interview, ten minutes, which I guess That's is surprising. Naturally from this show, which really is MSDNC. I mean, that that show is such a Democrat party. Uh, platform. But you did write Mika Brzezinski's first question was perhaps the most challenging as she asked whether there's more good news to come on the economy and argued it was a little perilous to label an economy Bidenomics if it doesn't do well. Yeah, and that's it's true. Um, she's doing it from a advocacy perspective, like looking out for the administration. Mm -hmm. But it is a valid question that, hey, you know, don't you admit that this was the best idea, you know, because there's been private rumblings about this. I feel like Axios or the Washington Post had a story about this, about how there was some, um, you know, second thoughts, uh, <laughs> at least among Biden allies. Right. You know, maybe Larry Summers or somebody may have said it publicly, but people have said it privately as well. Uh, so to bring that up, that's definitely, you know, smart of her to do that. But sure enough, you go on and on and on and on and on and nothing you know, she doesn't have much of an answer. She doesn't have much of an answer. And she talks about 22 million jobs and the uh, unemployment being under 4% and 
Um, it's just very rudimentary. Whereas if you ha this were a Republican press secretary, they would be talking about things like underemployment, people who have left the job force, breaking it down sure. further among you know manufacturing jobs and or they would say the, the job they would say the unemployment rate is great. But the inflation rate is still going. They it might find be caveats. right. It might be smaller, but the inflation problem continues. Then, uh, maybe a little surprising, Jonathan Lemire brought up the House impeachment inquiry, but only as a setup to denounce it as a complete waste of everybody's time. Listen. Congress comes back next week and with a lot on their to-do list. And we know the White House has been pushing for the supplemental border security deal for aid to aid in Ukraine. Of course, the government funding deadline also looms. But I wanted to ask you about something that a lot of Republicans are really focusing on right now, and that is the impeachment inquiry into the into the president. Um, and, you know, the White House has made clear that they don't believe there's any evidence there. But talk to us just about how you are preparing for what is coming, uh, you know, in, in the weeks and months ahead, which will be, at, if, if nothing else, a drain on staff, time, personnel and resources. And, of course, Corrine used the typical Clintonista echoing spin. There's a lot of ways we can work with Congress Instead of them going after the president's family. Yeah, the American family. Let's focus on the American family, so the president's family. And note again, folks, just like Stephanopoulos, because this was the last question of the interview, it also didn't end in a question mark. Right. It was just a statement. Right. It's like, this is going to be a waste of a drain on staff. Right. And, yeah. and, and we're used to that. You know, obviously a two-year-long January 6th probe is never a waste of time. No. <laughs> it's the no. most important thing they did in the last two years. And now once the House Republicans are in charge, everything they do is a waste of taxpayer resources. Um, that's the yeah. double standard, you know, and uh, we're used to it. But, yeah, Clinton was always like, they're all obsessed with me and I'm just trying to do stuff for you. I mean, it's the <laughs> same line. Now, you posted a review the other day uh, looking back at 2023, uh, a not-so-dirty dozen of 12 briefing room throwdowns with Mademoiselle Jean-Pierre. What stuck out to you? Well, just to kind of group these here, I did a series at the beginning of the year looking at the Biden documents. The first four entries all dealt with the Biden document scandal. And this was a moment where the net where the media really, really jumped on it here. Where one of the some of the few times where tough exchanges between Kareen and a mainstream reporter would make it onto the airwaves. I particularly remember after one of these CBS's Ed O'Keefe had portions of it, I think maybe a little bit or maybe not on CBS evening news, but definitely the next morning. He would play it and then comment on it afterward to continue piling on the White House's lack of transparency. And I thought that was really interesting because they know the double standard um, and the comparisons that were going to be brought about from the moment CBS broke the story. Adriana Diaz and uh, the team there broke that story about the documents at the Penn Biden Center. Mm -hmm. So I... Uh, I believe what I said in a lot of interviews at the time was the media were, this was an instance where the media were upset because 
Biden's team wasn't doing them any favors. They weren't giving them talking points to work with. Mm. Ian Sams would go out to the lawn, and there was that one. There was at one point they had an off-the-record call, but then wasn't made public until they published the transcript afterward. And Peter Alexander brought that up publicly at a briefing, saying, "Hey, what's the deal with this?" It just didn't go well. Um, you know, my favorite Jackie Heinrich moment was in May. When she pointed out that, uh, you know, when talking about debt limit negotiations, um, she said that 43 senators signed on to a letter opposing the debt ceiling, raising the debt ceiling without budget reforms, and 217 members of the House voted for that bill. Does the White House consider all of those members to be dangerous MAGA Republican extremists? Mm-hmm. And, I've, and that was such a great line and great train of thought that Jackie was going on here. Um, well, because they always use that. I mean, Hakeem Jeffries right. can't seem to open his mouth without that. And she pointed out that, like, how can you paint their legislation in such a way without having a conversation with them when you've got half the country saying that they want to talk about spending? And this is something that the media, if they were worth anything, would do more of. Because the president this weekend is going to make another speech at Valley Forge arguing that Donald Trump and therefore all of his voters and supporters are the most dangerous threat this country has ever faced, I guess maybe aside from climate change. So it's worth the reporters going down this route saying that there's tens of millions of people, people that we probably know, family members of who they just don't like Joe Biden. And this is where creating the idea that opposing me is not just wrong but evil is, again, it's it's authoritarian. We go back to who's the dictator here. Yep. Um, And then finally... Um, I should bring up too. They caught uh, during the border battles. Um, Peter Ducey had tried to ask, "What do you call it here at the White House when ten thousand people cross the border in a single day?" <laughs> and for some reason, she didn't want to talk to him, and she just completely shut him down. Um, well, then afterward, they went to Bill Malusian at the border, and he just ripped her a new one. So that's another one. There were some moments where KJP had to apologize. Uh, a day after she refused to condemn anti-Semitism on college campuses. That was thanks to Grady Trimble of uh, Fox Business and Philip, our buddy Philip Wegman. Um, you know, and then at the end of the year, um, it, it Peter Ducey had a funny moment. This was my favorite moment where Peter, he said, you said that President Biden was familiar with what his son was going to say. If I called my dad and said, I'm going to violate a congressional subpoena, he'd probably say, son, you shouldn't do that. Was there any attempt to talk Hunter out of it? And then, of course, she goes on to say, she didn't have anything else to add. I'll just say Joe no, was familiar with who he was going to say. But then she backs off and says this is a private conversation. Joe Biden or Hunter Biden's a private citizen. And this goes back to what I was saying on Newsmax on New Year's Day, which is uh, to Carl Higby, which is, you know, they're going to treat Hunter Biden like an adult when they want to and just say he's proud of him rebuilding his life and he's got careers now, I guess being an artist or whatever, lives in Malibu. We have no problem sending the Secret Service to pay for all of to his protection. But then when it comes to questions like this about defying a congressional subpoena or Weijia Zhang earlier after the plea deal collapse asking KJP, yeah, Biden's uh, been really big on gun control. So do you think the fact that his son broke the law means he still believes that gun violators should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law? Of course, you don't want anything to do with that one either. Right. Well, I, th- I and this is where you, you do say it, you don't get just to use the private citizen defense. I mean, we all understand in politics that Hunter Biden defying a subpoena 
could have political ramifications for his father's reelection. So it's not just a matter of whether he's a private citizen. That's, to me, one of the lamest Democrat talking points where they're like, well, he's not serving in the administration like Ivanka Trump. You know, it's that's not the point. The point is, yes, you're defying a subpoena. And we all know if a Trump aid or if a Steve Bannon decided to defy a subpoena, they all have a cow. They, well, they, well, they, they did. They went on the Jim Jordan defense. Jim Jordan defied a subpoena. Well, they didn't explain. Well, they've that, convicted Peter Navarro and Steve Bannon for it. Yeah. So they've actually taken these people to court. And so it's, it, you know, to me, that's kind of a lame defense. Let me ask you this question, uh, and then we'll move on to the Harvard issue. And that is that uh, um, obviously Corinne Jean-Pierre would seem to be out of her depth on most most issues, yeah. but they certainly signaled she's out of her depth on foreign policy issues because it seems like all of the press briefings since October have had John Kirby doing the first, right. I don't know, half, or is it the first two-thirds? I would probably say two-thirds, yeah. I, um, mean, I mean, yeah, because it got to the point where, yes, Hillary Vaughn, her question about, you know, uh, appearances for illegal immigrants being in 2030 court appearances being in 2031 that was to John Kirby mm -hmm. during his portion of the briefing and the fact that questions like immigration are getting asked to John Kirby means yeah these reporters you know either know what's going on they clearly do or they just don't respect Corrine anymore because they're gonna you know Kirby is there to give updates about you know if the president was going somewhere ahead of some of these summits or talk about what's going on in Israel and the Middle East, that questions now about the border are being asked of him. Well, I know as case, a guy who yeah. was a White House reporter who wanted to get a question in, you could certainly argue that immigration is a international issue. Right, but if he was originally there and his all his remarks and most for, of the— For war. And most of the questions were about war, then the fact that reporters started sne sneaking in these other questions— <laughs> That would mean that, yeah, they're not going to, they weren't going to wait to ask Kareem these questions and use their turn up there. They wanted to use their turn with John Kirby because John Kirby might actually give them an answer and might speak in complete sentences and use correct tenses when talking about <laughs> certain things. Kareem does that all the time. You know, we need to make sure the veteran has the care that they need, as she said in one of her interviews. They're like, wait, what? what? Huh? We can't use that. You sound inept, so we're yeah. not going to use it. Yes. Uh, many times I use the words have the sick brackets in my stories because ugh, don't. I'm not, it's not a typo, guys. She this just. This is what came out of her mouth. I, I hear I, you know, we're all about the facts here. So. All right. So we're uh, celebrating, in a sense, a small conservative victory uh, with Claudine Day Gay being forced to resign as president of Harvard. Um I don't think any one of us believes that the next president of Harvard is going to be Condoleezza Rice. <laughs> Mark Lamont Hill, former uh, CNN, saying that. Yeah, that needs to be a black woman. Uh, but I think, you know, so it's it's not a huge victory. But, I, I, you know, it is always surprising when something like this really did sort of start on the conservative side and worked its way into mainstream media as they define themselves. The New York Times did reporting. The Boston Globe did reporting on yeah. Harvard, the, the Harvard Crimson itself. and uh, But now that uh, she actually resigned, there's so much uh, wrong with the media coverage we've seen in the last few hours. Right. Okay, so there's a couple issues here. The first one is they you know, have to lead all of their coverage with the fact that she was the first black person to be leading Harvard and the second woman. 
That was mentioned repeatedly on the broadcast networks. So as if to signal, we're on our side, we're going to start with the alphabet, you know, verbiage, the woke, I guess, bingo card. Uh, well, yes, her. for them, it would be like it's a setback for diversity. Well, not Correct. necessarily, because it does matter who they replace her with. Correct. And, and, th and that's a fact. But I mean, what's what's so annoying to me about it, and I'm sure this is what you're getting to, is the idea that they were like, there were claims she would plagiarize or there were allegations right. instead right. of just saying she plagiarized. Yeah. So we had last night, World News Tonight, David Muir, new scrutiny and allegations of plagiarism. Major Garrett on CBS Evening News, allegations of plagiarism in the university's alleged mishandling of anti-Semitism on college campuses. Lester Holt, mounting accusations of plagiarism. Ugh. Which, you know, that, that sounds bad for her. But it's, yes, it's, it's, these are the same people that all run around and say, you have to say Trump lies. You have to use the L word. And here they're, they can't. They're saying claims. Claims. And allegations. Right. Well, in ABC, Selena Wang, who had both World News Tonight and Good Morning America uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, she couched, you know, this the use of the word allegations of plagiarism because Harvard did their own investigations and they only they didn't say it was plagiarism. They said few instances of inadequate citation mm. and there was no violation of Harvard standards for research conduct. I mean, which is just ludicrous in and of itself. But Selena Wang went political. You know, she complained that some professors, they're unhappy about how all of this went down, saying that the university is caving to uh, Republican political pressure. Uh, and then we go to Good Morning America, and she did the same thing. After the infamous exchange with Lee Stefanik, she said, Dr. Gay apologized for what she called poor wording in her testimony, but conservative attacks on Gay kept coming, including their allegations that Gay plagiarized in her scholarly work. As you just pointed out, the New York Times, the Boston Globe, they are not liberal or conservative organizations by any stretch of the imagination. And to degrade the work of the Free Beacon, mm -hmm. that was the thing on Twitter yesterday afternoon when this broke, which was Red Steez, uh I did this, a few others did as well, which is if the Pulitzers were worth their salt, that they would put the Free Beacon up there, Aaron Sibirium, Chris Rufo uh, helping them, um, a number of other conservative reporters, and the whole team there at the Free Beacon led by Eliana Johnson going through these papers of hers and running them through and trying to find examples yep. and then finding multiple examples yep. is something that should be you know hailed these journalists should be on television it shouldn't lead to scott jennings having to give them a shout out during his segment with aaron burnett last night mm -hmm. for them to be mentioned on the national scale outside of fox news this is one of the reasons we sort of make fun of the pulitzers because when you look at them now it's basically a signal of you were on the right story, you right. were fighting for the right cause. And so that, for example, when the New York Times looked stupid for pushing Russian collusion, the Pulitzer Committee said, well, the reports themselves merely said, here's what Mueller's doing. Well, then why right. is that? Why is why are you giving somebody an award for speculation for, for process of what Mueller's doing and what might happen next? Right. Yeah. Nicole Killian, I uh, should say, CBS did the same thing. There was this quote here from Quote, gay faced more scrutiny from donors and conservative activists following allegations of plagiarism, 
which she denied. Which is which is fine, but let, we will underline the point we always make, and that is that when liberals do this or leftists wage war on somebody, they won't call it waging war. They won't call them leftists. They'll say, you know, increasing pressure from civil rights groups. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because accompanying that was a soundbite from this like pasty white beta male professor at Harvard, Ryan Enos. They ran a soundbite from him on CBS Morning saying this is higher education being attacked by mob rule. And I think it's something that we should be wary of. Oh, really? Yeah, they're saying Harvard should be able to run Harvard. And it's like, well, first of all, uh, you know, you're a prestigious university. And how do you get your prestige? Well, that's to some extent through the national media. Um, and, you know, Harvard certainly wages war on America in other ways. And Harvard, you know, wants to have a big impact on the public debate, you know, with their schools of government. Right. Uh, you know, now we go back to Jonathan Martin trying to right. make fun of people saying, how dare you push around Claudine Gay? And then they point out. Why did you oh, pu- publish an article during the Rose Bowl? Who cares? <laughs> Jonathan Martin just came out of a stint at the Kennedy School of Government. So it's like. And this is the thing, folks, We need. Uh, I should point out. You pull back the curtain a little bit here. Fellowships at the Harvard Institute of Politics are for journalists and political commentators and their friends. This is the way this works. It is like doling out awards and access and being invited to fancy dinner parties. You know, just recent conservative Scott Jennings, our buddy, has been one. Alice Stewart has been one. Another CNN Republican. Uh, Robbie Mook did one after the 2016 election. Um, Jacinda Ardern is one of them, oh, I believe, uh, now. The old president of New Zealand. Margaret Taleb from Bloomberg, now with Axios. Sure. She, she's done that stuff as well. It's the Kennedy School. That's what it, you it, get. it literally is a complete, like, you know, a lot going to the deli. It's just literally a conga line of who's who in the establishment media. And one of the people that runs it, David Gergen. Yeah. Who's a longtime, you know, political hack hack yes yes for used to be the david local. brooks seat on the pbs news hour it was just as hopeless as david brooks uh but this is you know we're going to look at this claudine gay scandal and say conservative journalism wins right i would just say this is yet another example i said this after october 7th which is this is another chance of well 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 if it isn't the consequences of our own actions that you created this atmosphere of so-called cancel culture where people get fired or people lose their jobs for saying certain things and you got all upset about it because now it's coming for you you created these rules uh, in this culture and that you made this bed and now you have to lie in it but again it's why you support conservative journalism and you know one of the things why brent bozell we started the Bulldog Awards here with Newsbusters, which will be coming out right around the same time as the Pulitzers. So stay tuned for that. Well, and that's the important point, which is, yes, conservatives also do journalism. And that's the Dow Prize as well now with Yaf. Mm -hmm. We in conservative media are starting to come up with ways to spotlight this because we know works like the Free Beacon, what the Free Beacon did here, uh, just are not going to get even consideration from the Pulitzer Committee. Yeah, it's sort of like the same way you're never going to get somebody from Fox News or the Free Beacon, you know, on Washington Week with the Atlantic. I mean, it's even gotten more uh, preposterously liberal and and in a liberal bubble at PBS. Yeah, now that the Atlantic bought it. But, I mean, again, so and 
as well, support conservative journalism where you can. You know, your readership matters. Just going to our websites matter um, in places where there are subscriptions if you're willing to. Um, if this were before Christmas, I say a lot of these places run deals, but Town Hall, our buddy Julio Rosas at the border, it, there's all kinds of people doing great work. Real journalism, real journalism, and the liberal media just aren't going to do it. And instead, as usual, they would rather throw mud uh, and just denounce and diminish with partisan labels to try to force to have undecided voters or people not as plugged in think these attacks are just political in nature and therefore that they're not there's no factual basis to any of them, which there are. So this is where we would say, yes, well, we'll just mention as we often do. <laughs> MRC.org slash donate because it's there's not just media, uh, you know, reporting. There's a, reporting on the reporters, which is what we do, and media criticism. Right, yes. So when you want to come and see what we've got, you want to see the videos, you want to see the transcripts, you come to Newsbusters once, twice, 24 times a day. Thank you, Curtis. 